I'm Dean Newland, and welcome to the Business of Intuition, where I coach, facilitate, train, and speak on the hard science and meaningful experience of intuitive leadership in business, so you can make better decisions, forge real connections, and creatively solve problems to amplify your impact and simplify your life. Welcome to the Business of Intuition. If we build it, they will come, was a phrase made popular by the movie Field of Dreams. It struck a chord out of the belief that if we build a quality product or deliver a quality service, people will want it and they will buy it. However, over time, the digital world has changed consumer and client expectations. Now they want to be involved. They want to vote, a say, and they want to feel like they have helped to create the thing that later they will buy. My next guest on the business of intuition is a pioneer in engaging customers early in the development phase of a product or service. Damian Taylor has spent the last 15 years applying data and technology to entertainment. Both analytical and creative, he brings a unique skill set to his company, Prometheus Digital Studio, that is in high demand for brands and media companies such as Warner Brothers, NBC Universal, and New Form. And this means he has spent his career observing and understanding the motivations that drive people's actions. Damian Taylor on the business of intuition. Well, Damian, thank you so much for being a guest on the business of intuition. I'm really curious about your work and maybe you could just start us off. Give us a sort of a, a thumbnail, you know, overview of, of what you're all about, what your work's all about, so that the, you know, our audience can kind of first start from that context. Yeah. So I own a company called Prometheus Digital Studio. And it's a little bit unique in that we focus on data and creative. And so we have a part of our business that's all about data and consulting and helping people really manage that in the digital world. And then a part that's about creative. How do we create original IP, create content for other people, but all using data to inform what that creative will be. And so it's a little bit unique in that sense. It, everyone says they use data, but they don't actually apply it. It's usually sort of a, a, an afterthought of, hey, we're good, right? Did you get the data? Yeah, we can cover our tracks and make sure that we, we said that we did it. Um, whereas we actually use it from the very beginning. And that has given us a, a chance to start creating some unique new IP that is, is fun and brought us into the world of being producers of animation, of all things. Ah, well, I, what I, so I think there's a there's a a thread that we might be able to go down or pull, I should say, that I'm curious about with, with respect to this creative side and this data side and how they kind of come together. But could you give me an example before we get down that path of, say, a client you've worked with where you said earlier that some companies say they use data, but they don't. How do you use data and then how does it inform the creative process? Just give us a scenario. Yeah, a scenario is if you think of a traditional advertising agency or even television studio, a lot of times you'll have these brainstorming meetings, you come up with all these ideas, and then people will execute it to some degree, right? They'll they'll make a pilot or they'll just do it. And um, then they use data to test whether or not what they made was good, or if people like the idea, or if they have an audience for it even. And 
our philosophy has really been before we even make anything, let's look at what the most inexpensive and simplest way is to understand, do we even have something that people want? Um, That's the first phase. And so we actually start there versus making the thing and then looking for the audience. We look for, does this thing have an audience before we make it? And so a a good example would be telling them instead of, you have this great idea you want to do, instead of doing a pilot, why don't you just make a poster for it? Make whatever that movie or that TV show or that, whatever that poster is going to be and then run a really cheap ad campaign across the internet and see if anyone is interested. Because if you think about it, the first time people usually interact with a product or a movie or whatever it is, is usually going to be some sort of a, an ad, something that's really simple mm. and it doesn't represent the whole thing. So you see the movie poster for this movie coming out and just the description and people are excited about it. Or you see the image for this product you want and you're excited about it. You don't watch the movie first and then go back and see the ad and decide if you want to see it. And right. so why are we creating in the way of, we'll make it first and then go back and see if people want to see it. So the, the, that's a great idea. I, I kind of So let's assume that I am you know, driving my car down <laughs> Santa Monica Boulevard and I see your ad, I see your poster for a movie, just taking your example and going forward. I mean, it's part of me who thinks like, I'm, 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 there's an expectation that there is really a movie, right? I like your ad. So, I mean, how do you then fulfill on what seems to be a commitment for something that hasn't yet been created at a stage when you're just seeing whether or not people like the ad or not? So we don't even, that's why we really focus on leveraging digital media and social media to to do that part, right? So that you're not committing to something bigger than it really is. You don't put that big billboard on Santa Monica and people assume that something is going to happen. Instead, what we'll do is say, you'll create that poster, you run an ad across Google, Facebook, or, or wherever, and create a mailing list. And so the expectation is, hey, we're working on this thing. If you want to learn more or hear more about this progress, give us your email. And it serves two purposes, right? Now I'm, I'm building an audience. I have people that I can reach out to if we decide to actually make this or this becomes something real. We know who is most engaged and looking for it. But it also is setting the expectation of this thing is not finalized yet. It's not realized. So right. stay tuned for more information. And what you what you're really trying to get is how big is that initial core audience? Because depending on how big that initial core consumer audience group is and how avid they are or committed to your product they are, tells you how much work you will or will not have to do later on to promote it, to build out an audience, to build out a consumer base, whatever that is. And it also helps you then to prioritize your projects and your products. So the ones that are clearly getting you a lot of traction and a lot of audience, probably the ones that have the most likelihood of financial viability. And so you start with those. And then the ones that are more questionable, you can now do by having financed them to some extent through those really successful ones that you have versus the other way around where everything is throwing spaghetti at a wall. Understood. So you, I think I have this correct, that you would create the audience first and then build off from there. So this is a real situation, Damien. I was just talking to a client slash friend about writing a book together. We haven't even gotten it clear on exactly what it's going to be. We just sort of intuitively feel there's something that needs to be spoken. And we've we've got some general ideas. But And so the traditional way is to say, okay, let's sit down and write 
the introduction. Let's figure out our why. Let's get the outline going. Let's start building up the content, maybe through interviews and so forth. And then, boom, the book is done. And then now we're going to go into the next phase, which is to go and promote it. How would your approach be different? We invert that. So we promote it first. So that's where we start to figure out in that figuring it out phase, maybe what do we want to focus on? What do we really want to talk about? I'd start building out those conversations, those interviews, all of those topics that we think might be the core of the book first and find out what's really resonating with people. What are those things that provide some hmm. white space? And that, that gives you a sense for where the, the potential audience is most avid. It doesn't mean that you eliminate everything else. You just know that this is the part that's most avid. So that's probably going to be the thing that brings them in. Or you might find that you have multiple audiences. You might have three different audiences who are all coming at it from a different perspective. And you'll know that if you want to be successful, then you, you have to figure out how to balance that. So mm -hmm. you don't alienate one of the three audiences. But then you have that information from the beginning. You also have an audience to start working with from the beginning so that when it's time to write the book and you've written it, you're writing about those things that are most relevant and pertinent for the people who you're you're trying to reach. But you're also now able to tap into an audience that you can say, and now the book is out and they built yes. a relationship with you and they feel invested in the fact that they know that they were there from the beginning to help you build it. It, it really builds on this need or this human feeling of belonging and yes. being able to participate and be social. And so if I feel that somehow I've been able to work with you and watch you on your journey, whether or not I did anything in it, there's always this feeling of, I like to feel like I had some credit in that, right? And people That's feel great. good about helping you get there. And then they're invested in promoting it because I was there from the beginning. It's a, right. I remember that band when they only played in small shows and then they get bigger <laughs> and everyone brags yeah. about that, right? But right. those are the people who helped to make them bigger. That's a, I really like this approach. I think you're onto something. And I'm sure that you're not the only one on the planet that's doing it, but I don't see and hear people talking about it like this. So you're saying that social media would be the vehicle by which you would engage the audience in these early stages. Yep, social media. If you have an audience already and you're trying to understand a sub-segment of them or whether they're interested in new projects that you're working on, you can even do it on your blog post or your podcast or wherever with, with your current audiences. So it's, it's something that's hugely applicable, but it also allows you to be more strategic and intentional in, in your work. And then in terms of just thinking business-wise, in terms of making money, you don't make the big investment up front and then try to make it back. You make smaller investments right. up front and increase the likelihood of being able to have a big return mm. at the end, which is the ideal in business. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> okay, so then what's your process like then with a company? How would you, let's, let's take another scenario, not the book scenario. Let's say that, I don't know, somebody has started up a an idea for a new business and let's say they're going to, I don't know, they're going to be in the coffee business. You know, they're going to start having uh, coffee carts or coffee locations in, in different retail locations. You know, that's, that's what they're hoping to do. How do you build an audience if that's the idea before actually brick and mortar get developed? Yeah. And so I think, so there are a couple of things in there. there what, at the core of what we do is really, to some extent, research and really getting to know who your consumer mm. or the end user is. So you could do that the way that we're doing it with branding, but sometimes it might make sense depending on the consumer, the, the client, not doing it as a marketing ploy and doing it more as a, let's do research first to find out if that need is even there in the audience. 
or for your, for your product or whatever it is. And so what we like to do first is really understand how much vetting our client has done in terms of just understanding the, the market fit. Is there a need for here for, for whatever this is? And where did we find that need or where do we, how do we see it manifesting? So that could be through, sometimes it might be through actual old school market research and doing a sort Environmental of scans, yeah, yeah. demographics, psychographics, all those things. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Maybe a survey, whatever that is. And if there, there already is this, this idea of a product market, because sometimes you, you can't ask people to, to provide an opinion on something that they've never seen before, right? They don't have the, the reference point to do it. So then that's where I think the marketing piece comes in and you start to play with the different messages of the different value propositions of your product. So if you, and this is totally going to be made up, if you're like, I have space coffee grown in moon dirt, like they took some dirt from the moon, they brought it here, the cocoa, we have cocoa beans and we have coffee beans and they were grown together in this dirt. We made this special mocha space coffee, right? And that's the thing with all these people going to space and people want to know, well, well, I want space coffee, but you don't know how big that is. You start to advertise it like, Follow our journey as we get ready to launch our company for space coffee. Um, And so you bring people along for the ride. And there's always the understanding that they're following your journey, but you might not be successful. But sometimes if you're not successful in that, the good thing is that the people who are following you are probably rooting for you. And you could potentially be successful in your next endeavor because they followed how you went through and didn't succeed in this one. But when you find your new idea that people actually wanted to buy they're there for you as well. So it's, it's, right. it's kind of the building, it's building your thousand core fans, whatever that is, yeah. whoever those people are, and allowing you to, a lot of times, not even hone your message, but to hone your product for what people really want. It's a fascinating, I love it. So you're building your audience while you're building whatever, your product, your service, and you're bringing them along for the ride. How do you intersect this process, like say with strategic planning? where we often have to say, all right, by the end of the year or five years, we, we want to reach these certain goals. This is our vision. This is our mission. This is our clients. You know, These are the strategies and the goals and the tactics and the budgets that roll all up to it. So, right? so if that's the traditional way of doing that, would your process then change that? Meaning that you might you do your strategic planning later than you would normally, because now you've built an audience and you've built your customer base and you understand them better, which then could feed into a much more rich and meaningful plan. So with strategic planning, it's interesting because usually by the time you're doing that, you have something that's established already. Um, And the objectives then are usually different than what you're doing, starting out with something completely new. And so in those scenarios, usually the first thing I want to do is make sure that the company has a very clear set of values and a very clear set of what they want to achieve. So LinkedIn being an example, like they want to, you know, connect the world's professionals, right? That's like their big overarching mission. And then everything that they're doing should somehow feed into that. And one of the keys is going to be then in that strategic planning, there's usually an element of maintaining current businesses and growing or starting new businesses. And so in that effort, you'd want to look at that maintaining piece, right? Are those businesses growing or are they just chugging along and they're kind of a cash cow? What do those things, do they need? to expand and if they need to expand then that's where our piece comes in right where do you see that audience expanding to or that consumer base or whomever and then how do you reach them right what are those audience adjacencies that make sense and that's really just kind of pulsing the market and research and being very aware and listening to what your consumers are giving you for feedback and then there's the other piece of 
branching out into new endeavors. And that has to tie back to whatever your overall strategic mission is. It has to fit and make sense because if people can't make sense of it, it doesn't seem to connect. You're going to get some, some pushback and some reluctance to, to adopt. But then it's also making sure that you've carved out an adequate budget saying like, this is our strategic planning. This is what we do. But every year we're going to take 10, 20, 15%, whatever it is of our business. And it's going to be dedicated to building these things. And the way we're going to build them is from idea and building the audience or the consumer base to concept. And it's going to go from least expensive mode, iterative testing to most expensive. So in the case of what we're doing with content providers or people who are making content, instead of making a show, which can be tens of thousands, even millions of dollars, it could be, we'll run these campaigns first. Here's a show, log line, even get some actors, take the photos of them, do the promotion, see who that audience is. And if they like it, then maybe we do a podcast of it first, talking to that audience, talking to the actors, or we'll do a table read and bring people in there. And then we'll do like a web version of the series, which is less expensive than doing the big full on TV production, or we'll animate it. And then, so then you start building into it so that by the time you get to the, now we're doing a series and we're putting it on our network, you have an audience, you've started to hone the the elements that they like or they love. And it's all within that budget constraint that you've set for your company for innovation or new products. And Mm -hmm. you're able to then say, we have our things that we're maintaining, but we're growing these things and of these new things, these are the ones that are most promising. So let's bring those into the fold. These other ones we can let go. Versus the spaghetti approach where you're kind of just hoping that things will work. You're This way you're being iterative and mitigating the amount of loss and the amount of risk that you're absorbing as you're testing out these new ideas. So I would think that the selection of audience has to be extremely important because you might be developing a book, developing your coffee idea that you had mentioned and the audience that you're trying to engage and say, hey, you're along for the ride, or we want you to know, we want to get your feedback on this, they may not be the right audience. You know, They may not have an interest in that. <laughs> they may like tea, they don't like coffee. <laughs> Bad analogy, but you would get my point. So I would think that one could easily get derailed into a direction for an audience that they shouldn't be attracting, when in fact, they should be going in a different direction. So I guess there is a, a little bit of making a claim that this is our audience and that we need to now engage them versus having such a wide net and seeing who shows up. What's your thoughts? So it really depends on, this is something that we work with and a lot of companies struggle with as well is you create a project or a product and you think this is who our audience is going to be. And one of the things that we really focus on and why we say we're the scientific method for creating or for content or whatever is because you have to go in with a hypothesis knowing that your hypothesis could be wrong. Right. And beforehand, making the decision of what will you change if you have this information, right? Because the purpose for getting the information is to act on it. And if you're not going to change anything, then there's no point in doing the exercise. But if you discover, I made this thing, whatever it is, is widget, whatever. And we thought it was going to be for these folks over here. And what we find out is it's really for these folks over here. You have a decision to make. Do you go, wow, okay, we have this new audience, this new group, this new consumer. Let's lean into that and really understand them and understand why they want this widget and why we can make it for them. Or do you say, you know what, those people are not within the group or the confines of the cohort we want to reach for our mission. So we need to go back on our project 
and create something then that's valuable to those people who we really want. Mm -hmm. Both of those are viable solutions, but as a company, you need to really be clear about what you stand for, what, who you want to reach and why you want to reach them so that you can decide, is it okay if you discover a new audience and you're willing to lean into it? Does it fit with your company mission? If not, are you willing to change that product? Or are you so tethered to it that you can't change it to get to the people who you really want? And that's, that's difficult. It's difficult for a, a lot of companies, I'll admit, to, to do it difficult for me to even do sometimes I have to pull myself out of it and yeah. um, sometimes say wait a minute we wanted this but we're getting this does this new whomever group fit with the objective that we're setting out and your own biases have got to get in the way as well you may have, you exactly. have to be really open for being having your mind changed I remember one of the more valuable things that have happened for us in 2021 this last year this year was when we hired an external firm and among many things, they interviewed our clients and asked them a variety of questions about you know, the, the value we create and things we could do better. It was absolutely incredibly valuable to hear this stuff. It's like, you know, we work with them so much, but we don't have this third party kind of helping pull this stuff out. And so my question then is, you know, I'm thinking about branding. I'm thinking about, you know, a group of people and executives who get around an ex a table and say, all right, well, let's go hire a company and come up with some logos and then and this is what the color scheme is going to be like and you know and so and the the people involved in making those decisions are the executives within that team i like green you like blue this particular shape looks cool so internally we make that decision and then that becomes what we put on our door and on our websites and on our business cards can this also work where we would test out these particular images and brand branding collateral to a a what we think is our potential customer and get them to respond could they be involved in the branding process as well definitely definitely and i think what you get with that is whatever it is you're you're selling or whatever your brand is you're promoting whether it be consulting whether it be a product whether it be whatever it is if you're promoting or advertising love put out multiple versions of it and it's it's something that you can do with testing relatively easy now with technology and segment those groups. So one group sees one version, one group sees another, and they're all from the, that cohort that you really want to struggle, that you mm -hmm. really are trying to reach and look at which one galvanizes them the most, which one gets them most excited, which mm -hmm. one brings in the best reactions. And it could be that all three of them are equal. And so at that point, then it means can't go wrong with any of them, right? It could be right. that one is a very clear winner or there are two that are very distinct. And when you find that there are two that are doing really great and the third one might not be, you might want to look at those two and find out within this group that we're looking at, are there distinct differences? Is it because one is looking for this one factor or service or feeling and this other is looking for something else? Um, it's the reason why you'll see a company like Geico having three very strong brand campaigns that go out all the time and they're consistently different right? you have like the the lizard and then you'll have like the you can save money one and i think i forgot what the third one is but they're all very different yeah. um and they're intended because they have different audiences they, they have a broad consumer base but that broad consumer base is looking for different attributes with their service and so with that they have to be able to speak to those different groups in a way that's unique and speaks specifically to their needs Got it. So I'm thinking about something you said around getting people to, you know, respond, say, to a logo, and you have these different segments to weigh in on that. I'm thinking about how much I get these days on people, in a sense, asking me for that. 
you know, I, I, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn and all of a sudden I get all these emails that say, hey, Dean, you know, what's you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm going like, I, oh, geez, what have I done? You know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm a little bit too busy as it is anyway. How do you incentivize people to participate in something that at first glance doesn't seem like it's going to benefit them? I think that's the trick. It, it has to be something that there is already relevant to them. And what you'll find is not everyone is going to, but the people who will are the people who are going to be the most most strongly advocating for it and who have the strongest need for whatever the product you're giving. Um, and so it's, I mean, th this is something that we've done in market research for, for years and forever. You know that there's going to be to some extent a self-selection bias. And depending on the industry or what you're trying to do, that can be okay because people buying your product are going to have a self-selection bias. And mm. so what you want to understand is at the end of the day, what is that core consumer, user, viewer going to want. And then you know that those core values usually sort of are distilled and a kind of get a little bit more diluted as you go further and further away from that central group. Um, right. But it's really understanding that core that's going to be the most important, knowing that some version or iteration of that is going to be useful for other groups that are going to be tangential to them. And so it's it's not about getting everyone. It, 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 it should never be about getting like that whole group or everyone. It should be about just understanding that most avid person first, because those are the people who are going to always be there for you. If you mm -hmm. lose them, it's, there's a bigger problem with what you're selling in your company. And then taking that and iteratively over time, as you're growing your product, as you're growing your business, understanding how that translates to other groups. And so it's something that's not a sort mm -hmm. of, I, I think what you'll find is we get very accustomed to assuming we'll do one research study or we're going to do one thing and it's going to make everything great. And we're going to know for we're forever going forward. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we have to remind ourselves a lot that all of this is going to be iterative and that you're going to learn as you go. You're going yeah. to have that first iteration, that first product, and it may be spectacular and amazing. It could be the world's first VCR ever, right? And it'll work well enough and people will love it, but then it'll get better and better and better. And then one day you're going to make a DVD player. And that'll get better and better and better. And then you make an HD and you're like, oh, we're going to go digital. So it's going to be iterative. We didn't start with Netflix. We started with, you know, watching stuff yeah. on broadcast and then we went to VCRs and then to DVDs. And so yeah. it's accepting that iterative process, but know that make the best for what you can today with the information that you have today and leveraging the current demand you have. And as you learn about that consumer, that user, continue to provide value. And we, we can't assume that I have, and this is, a, this is another mistake we see a lot is, well, I have those people already, but can you keep them? And uh, what's to prevent them from going someplace else? And what else right. are they looking for? You have to maintain that relationship and really maintain that understanding of what your consumer wants because their, their tastes, their preferences and needs can change. It can be subtle. It can be dramatic over time. So, and so, so again, you do both. You do the iterative market research, understanding the customers, engaging them in a process, as well as developing content. I'm going to say, could it be media content? It could be, are we talking about like websites as well, social media posts? So, I mean, what what's the scope by which you will move from that data side to the creation side of some sort of a, a content? Yeah. So we've actually... I moved out of, I, for there was a time when we were really big into to websites. That's a, it's a lot of work and there are people who can do it much faster and much more cheaply and effectively than we can. So we yeah. really focus now on doing more video content, photo content, social post sort of content, things that are going to be direct engagement or interactions with 
your consumer or your stakeholders, whomever you're, you're trying to reach. And so in doing that, it, it's really more about for us than focusing on what's the core message? Why is someone coming or looking for whatever it is you're offering first? And then what makes what you're doing with it unique? And mm. why would should they come back? Just those three questions. Um, mm. And consistently asking that and trying to deliver on it. So I think an example would be we, working with a client and they make a lot of content. They're, they're a media company and they're realizing that they, they think they should have more young consumers, more young listeners and viewers, and they don't understand why their content is right for them. But they, the way that they're pulling together their format is really built around an audience that's much older. And so mm. they have the right content, the right intellectual property in there, but their delivery of it is such that it's not conducive for the audience that they think they should be having. And so they keep getting this audience. You're like, this is really great. We want the old audience, but we want to be able to bring in that younger viewer too, who are really all about these things that we're talking about. And they can't figure out why. And so it's been with mm. them, it's been a, an exercise in let's work then on, I know that you've not done things this way before and that to you, this is something that it's that's foreign and you think somehow makes your content less valuable. But are you doing this for yourself or are you doing it for your viewers? If you're doing mm. it for your viewers, then you have to give the viewers what they want. You're telling them that they don't know what they want then, right? If you're just yeah. saying, no, but you should be watching our thing. And because you're doing that, they're not going to watch what you want them to watch. Right, right. So why did you name your company uh, Prometheus? <laughs> So I am very much a fan of just mythologies in general. And at the time when we formed Prometheus, uh, I was really heavily into Greek mythology. Well, I still am. But especially at that moment, I was listening to a podcast about it and I was reading all these books on it. And Prometheus is one of the titans who uh, people, a lot of people probably know the story, but was punished by Zeus for giving man knowledge. Right. But Prometheus also supposedly brought fire to man so that they can survive because gods wanted to get rid of them and didn't want to really help man. And so Prometheus was like, I can make work. I can make it work. So he supposedly created them all and then gave them fire so they could survive and actually kind of give them a leg up over these other creatures that had like nails and teeth and were much more vicious. But along with that, he gave them knowledge. And it's something that they weren't expecting, but it helped man to then thrive over the other animals there and suddenly became much more prominent in the eyes of the gods. It got him punished, but he did it. And so I just thought it was a very interesting analogy for how my company works and that a lot of times we're bringing in data or knowledge that's meant to ignite some sort of action, right? It's start a fire somewhere. And mm. it just seemed like Prometheus was kind of like the perfect fit for that because it, especially in the content arena, especially working with creatives, you can be a little bit of a pariah, so you might get punished by Zeus. You've de you destroyed my gut, my intuition. Um, when in actuality, <laughs> what we're trying to do is amplify your gut and your intuition um, yeah, yeah. and give it more you know, tools to, to really grow and flourish. And so we figured we're kind of like Prometheus, aren't we? And That's awesome. lo and behold, the name was worn. But Damien, it's been really, for me, an eye opener for many reasons. I think that just the order by which you engage the audience really sticks out to me and having them go along for the ride was a, a new thought to me. I've known that that's sort of, I've heard it before, but now all of a sudden it made sense. And so I'm already thinking about this book that we're planning on doing, 
how we will do it differently as a result of this conversation. And I'm sure that, you know, maybe some of the listeners are going to start thinking about things differently as a result of, of what you've said. How can people, by the way, connect to you? What should they be looking for in the future regarding you and your company as well? Um, yeah. So if you want to connect with me, LinkedIn is probably my favorite place to be. So you can find me at Damien Taylor. It's pretty straightforward. D-A-M-I-O-N on LinkedIn. And you'll see Prometheus Digital Studio there. Or you could just go to the website, prometheusdigitalstudio.com. I apologize that it's so long. Prometheus was apparently a popular name, so we had to add yeah. on the word studio at the end. Right, right. <laughs> but prometheusdigitalstudio.com. And what to expect? We're actually in the process of doing a, a web series called TechWitch. Um, and this was the perfect example of creating something that was born out of data. I, I'm a big nerd, and so I love fantasy content and sci-fi. And one day I thought, what if we could make something that was both? But I wasn't really sure if the idea would go anywhere. And so I used my own advice, and we tested it. And we did it on our Facebook page, and not our corporate one. We had a, a, a studio brand one that we wanted to play with just in case it went really badly, and we called <laughs> Digital Compendium. And yeah. we put up the concept, and I did three iterations of it. And Overnight, we got 10,000 followers just from Oof. that. And then Oof. people signing up for a mailing list. And I can't wait to see this. And I, I was honestly taken aback. I, I didn't expect that reaction from it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I literally spent $25 doing like a Facebook ad. Um, and wow. we yeah. suddenly got all these people. And so we kept kind of testing the waters a little bit and we made it into a podcast. And then the podcast started doing well because it was cheap and it was easy. We could do it at home. Yeah, so wait, so t- tell people what the name of your podcast is. Yes, the podcast is called Tech Witch. It's about a pair of twins who are from a family thought to be magical duds until they find out that their power is really they can control technology. Hmm. So it's, it's fun. It plays with technology a lot. And we wanted to see if anyone else would be interested in it. And yeah, people loved it. And so now that the podcast is doing well, we're starting season two it, and we're working on it now. It should come out this week. Christmas week. So if you hear this in January, it should already be out and wherever you get podcasts, you can listen to it. But we're also working on the first episode of the pilot. It's animated and yeah, it's fun. I've never done an animated series before. So this is a a nice new experience and yeah. Very good. Well, Damien, it's been a real pleasure to know you. Thank you, Dean. No, this was great. It was so fun talking to you. Great. Well, listen, have a great holiday and uh, let's stay in touch for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Business of Intuition. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about Dean or Mission Facilitators Leadership, go to mfileadership.com. That's mfileadership.com.